Welcome to Weekdays with Jesus. Today's message is from Pastor Don Ray, and today's song is a Christmas song written by Emily Bartels and Nikki Peters. The last two Sundays, as you may recall, we've been looking at Gabriel's interaction, the angel Gabriel's interaction with Zechariah in the prophecy of John the Baptist being born. Today, we hear Gabriel's conversation with Mary, who, as we know, was chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus. And Mary's reactions in the text suggest to us that in some ways she had a wonderful life, as it were, one full of wonder. And the text encourages us in that way that even our Christian life can also be one that's full of wonder, full of questions. So we look at that today and how that impacts us, what that means for us. What does it mean that the Christian life, our journey, can be one that is full of wonder? Well, we'll listen and see, but first let's pray. Good and gracious God, thank you for your living and active word spoken through Gabriel today to Mary for us. Father, help us, Lord, to enter into your text. Draw us into your scriptures through your Holy Spirit. Bless us with greater insight about you and your love for us and for all people through Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you to follow along in the sermon notes if it's helpful. Today it's in the very, very back of your bulletin. You even get two sides to take notes today. That might mean I go long. I don't know. We'll see. Regardless of that, brothers and sisters, as I often like to say, the Lord be with you. Thank you. Were you terrified when I said that? Confused? Agitated? Well, I hope not. Likely not, because it's something that we often say to each other as a reminder that God is with us. We know that this season, to be reminded, especially the Lord be with you, it's a wonderful gift because Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. So we're reminding one another that Jesus is indeed here, and that's a great and joyful encouragement. And so it ought not terrify us or confuse us or perplex us. But at the same time, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know the story of Scripture, or at least it's been made available for us to learn and to enter into. And we have that blessing. The Scriptures are complete for us. They're available to us. Even if we're not yet familiar with them, they are all there from Genesis to Revelation. Today's texts from Isaiah to the fulfillment in Jesus' birth, and not just his birth, but his life, death, resurrection on Easter and ascension into heaven. We see that whole picture. And so hearing the Lord be with you or the Lord is with us is not a terrifying thing. But for Mary, we have to remember she's in a different place. The scriptures were still being written at that moment. And so she did not have the benefit of the broader perspective that we do. Not to mention Mary was one of God's uh, unwitting chosen main people main characters in his narrative. God's word was not only still being created and spoken as it were, it was happening to her. God's word was literally happening to her in a very unexpected and 
deeply personal way. And so when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary without forewarning her and says, the Lord is with you. It shouldn't surprise us that as Luke records, this is in verse 29 of chapter 1, that Mary was greatly troubled by the saying. And to be greatly troubled means Mary, in, in Luke's original Greek word, it was just a single word, perplexed. Mary is perplexed at this comment, this greeting, the Lord is with you. When she began to ponder and reason, consider and discuss in her own mind what this might have meant. So here's, here's an initial point of application for us as God's people hearing this text. Something important for us to remember as we ponder its meaning for our life, and there's many, many meanings. A reminder, the greeting, the Lord is with you, the greeting wasn't perplexing to Gabriel, but it was for Mary. And yet it was the very same greeting. The speaker and the hearer were amidst the very same word, you see. We can think about that among us. For those among us who are longtime Christians, who may know significant parts of Scripture, maybe even know it like the back of our hand, even if we, even if we don't consider ourselves particularly knowledgeable, we probably know many of the main big stories and people and truths of the Bible. But not everyone is in that boat. The same word of truth that we speak among people who know God's word well, may seem basic to us, but it might confuse or perplex other people. And we can think of this kind of dynamic in our everyday lives too. When we've been studying something or doing something or talking about something for a long time, it can become second nature to us, right? You're on the party planning committee and you've had 19 meetings about the party planning but now you have to go and announce to the rest of the public that there's a party happening. They go, oh, I didn't hear about a party. And you go, we've been talking about this forever. Well, no, you've been talking about it forever, but that person that you shared it with hasn't been hearing about it forever. So it becomes second nature. Or think about any number of tasks or things that we do that we might be good at or experienced with. Quilting. Quilting. It's one thing. I've turned a grand total of one quilts inside out in my life. And it happened a couple of months in Luther Hall. But there's people here who've turned probably thousands. Become second nature. Or teaching a certain subject. Or doing a math problem. Or recalling the details of our favorite book or movie. Right? We know the sequence. Driving becomes second nature. Skiing, if you like to ski. Uh, when these things and these topics become second nature to us, it can be hard for us to keep in mind that not everyone else knows like we do. A task, an idea, an activity that seems simple to us may perplex or trouble or confuse people who are new to it or who weren't expecting to hear that news. And it's important to think about this dynamic because at some level, the more familiar, I think this is true, the more familiar that we are with a topic or a task or an activity, probably the more time and effort we need to take to explain it and make it accessible to people in simpler ways. Because we, over time, have taken things for granted, but we have to kind of reverse engineer our learning and share it in bite-sized pieces with other people. 
Mary's perplexity at a greeting that doesn't perplex us reminds us of that dynamic. Now, all this in mind, uh, we can especially appreciate Gabriel's response to Mary's troubling perplexity. He says, do not be afraid. And then he offers her further explanation. This is in verses 30 to 33. It's a wonderful response for us to see and to appreciate. Gabriel doesn't chastise her. Gabriel doesn't rebuke her for her wonderment and for wondering about what was going on, but rather he encourages her, he comforts her, and then he patiently explains the saying even further. Right? This is verses 31 to 33. And behold, Gabriel says to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's think about this for a minute. According to Luke's account, and and Matthew's account also, Gabriel never tells Mary about her son's suffering and crucifixion. Who knows if Gabriel even knew? He was an angel sent by God, but God is, as God, able to hold or share information as he desires. We don't even know if Gabriel knew. And even in Mary's Magnificat, that's the song of praise that she sings later in chapter 1, she doesn't mention anything specific about the Lord's cruciform journey. So we don't know if she knew. And even Simeon. Even Simeon, this comes in Luke chapter 2, in his prophecy spoken to Mary uh, 40 days after Jesus' birth, this is where we get the nunc dimittis, is from Simeon's song of praise. He only says this, Simeon does, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And saying to Mary, he says, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What does that mean, Simeon? Mary, from the text that we have in ink, Mary wasn't told the specific contours of what Jesus would suffer. For all we know, she didn't know everything that specifically was yet to come. But again, for us, we know the broader narrative. We know how things unfold. And even if we take a close look and read the scriptures really closely, in chapter 1, Luke gives us a grammatical clue about what is yet to come. You look back at that Greek phrase, Mary tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. It's actually a single word in Greek, tried to discern. Tried to discern comes up only a few times in Luke's gospel account across all of his many chapters. This is the first place he uses it, that word. And the last place, it's in Luke 20, verse 14, and Jesus there is teaching on the parable of the wicked tenants. If we remember that parable, it's a parable ultimately about how the religious leaders who are the, in the narrative, in the parable, they are the tenants in charge of the vineyard. They capture and kill the vineyard owner's son. It's a parable, as we know, foretelling in a veiled way that the religious leaders 
hearing the parable would indeed capture and soon kill Jesus himself. And Jesus says, as Luke writes it, that when the tenants saw the vineyard owner's quote-unquote beloved son, this is Luke 20, 14, they reasoned among themselves, this is the heir, let us kill him. Mary's tried to discern is the same word reasoned among themselves. Luke begins his narrative with it in chapter 1 and toward the end of his narrative uses it again. So even when we link his grammar, which is very intentional, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God himself, Luke is already giving a clue as to the ultimate fate of Jesus. He's linking Jesus' birth narrative with his suffering and death. And that is why, in so many ways, Advent is a season of mini Lent, because yes, Jesus came, he was born, and Christmas is a joyful day, but when we pull back and look at the broader narrative, Jesus was born to die and to rise. He will save us from our sins, right? He came, we know the purpose of Luke writing his gospel, the purpose of Jesus coming. He says this, we saw it in our first week in Luke 19, Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost. And if you look at the Matthew account, an angel, we don't know if it was Gabriel or not, text doesn't say, but an angel told Mary's husband, Joseph, this, Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Again, if Joseph were connecting the dots, he would know at least broadly that to make atonement for sins, something had to die. That's how it goes in the Old Testament. Something had to die, a lamb, a goat, a sheep, a turtle dove, whatever it is, something had to die to make atonement for sin. Whether or not Jesus, or Joseph, we should say, connected those dots about Jesus himself, we don't know. But again, we have the whole picture. And so, because all of this is still veiled to Mary and even to Joseph, it still ought not surprise us that after Gabriel's first explanation about Jesus' conception and birth, Mary still responds, how will this be? How will this be? Mary still can't comprehend what Gabriel is saying will come to pass. She still can't grasp it. And if you remember our message last week, her posture is one of humility. It's, it's not emphasizing herself like Zechariah was. Well, how will I know this? No, she's saying, how will this be? The very form of her question implies not unbelief, but wonderment, a wonderful life full of wonder as to how this will actually take place. How will this be? And in response, yet again, a very patient angel Gabriel says, and gives Mary additional answers. Additional answers. So my friends, let this be, let this part of it be an encouragement to us and to people we may know and love. Mary had an angel of God standing there in person with her, Gabriel, the very same angel who had only appeared previously to Daniel all those hundreds of years if Gabriel shows up at your house, turn off the TV and pay attention, folks. God deploys him on very rare occasions. 
Gabriel is standing there in person and even with two patient explanations. Mary still cannot comprehend all that Gabriel is saying. And, and frankly, who could? Who could? Now, as we think about this dynamic for us, to be very clear, needless to say, we are not that Mary. None of us has given birth to God. She's unique. But we do have questions sometimes. Sometimes really big questions. And we might hear, this text I think gives us some permission to, to accept and to embrace and to be okay with the dynamic that we might hear the same truth or the same patient, helpful explanation from God's word in response to our questions many times over and still wrestle with how such a thing can be. And, and by these kind of questions, by these, by these wonders we may have, we don't mean disobedient dismissal of God. That's different. You know, we're not mocking, we're not jeering, we're not outright denying God's word. That's not what we mean by these kind of wonderings we have. That's different. We mean, in Mary's vein, an earnest, humble, awesome, reverent wonder. A wonderful life. Wow! How can that be? How can God have done such a thing? How will God do such a thing? We might have questions like that too. And this is where Mary comes to the end of herself, which is a great place to be. Not in a frustrated or angry I'm giving up sort of indignation and whatever, God. No. She's brought to a point of humble submission. And so Mary says after hearing the second explanation from Gabriel, she says, let it be to me according to your word. Now notice here, Mary does not say, oh, I get it. Everything makes perfect sense now. I understand it completely. I don't have any more questions. Thank you for coming, Gabriel. I've got it. Mary did not say. She just says, let it be to me according to your word. And so at some level, Mary lingers in wonder even as she also, at the same time, moves forward in humble faith according to God's word of promise. She doesn't have to have it all figured out to be a faithful follower of God and a faithful servant of God. And the fact that she acknowledges with her posture, with her humility, with her questions, the fact that she acknowledges that she doesn't have it all figured out keeps her in a proper relationship as creature to creator. And so for us, in similar fashion, the Christian life can indeed be one that's full of wonder, of humble inquiry, of, of questions to which we, of questions to which there are answers, but to which we may not ever receive an answer, or to which we may not ever receive a satisfactory answer. 
think about some of these questions maybe that we have when we think about the scriptures. You know, why, why does God allow this or that specific act of evil to take place? How old is the earth, actually? We've got to guess, but our salvation doesn't depend on it. And Scripture's not going to show us an exact age. What will it be like? We just talked about this, Rob Rosenau, in our Bible study this morning. What will it be like when Jesus comes again? Well, we know there's going to be a trumpet, and the whole world all at the same time is going to hear it, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What, that's, what, what is that going to be like, though? I don't know. Never done that yet. <laughs> well, am I going to be like 25 and have all my hair back when Jesus comes again? Am I going to recognize so-and-so? Am I going to know that some people are there and some people aren't? Even today, how is it that God promises in his word to be present with us in the simple elements of bread and wine? How is it that Jesus is mysteriously present in Holy Communion? He says he is. I don't know. He didn't give me that formula. How is it that when we study and abide and proclaim God's word as we're doing now, that Jesus says he is here with us? Where is Jesus? You see Jesus? Where's Jesus? He's here. Because he promises to be here. Well, how is he here? And also in Iraq, in a Christian gathering now, in a locked-in home Bible study and in China, and in Topeka, Kansas, and across the river at Faith and East. How is he there? How is he there? He's there because he promises he's there. I don't get it, and that's okay. That keeps God God and us not, and that's a really good dynamic to have. Even more personally, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how is it possible that God loves and forgives even me? How can God do that? He does. And you're forgiven in Christ. You know, it's okay to be people with honest and humble questions. It's okay to be people who are in awe of how some of the promises of God's word came to pass or will come to pass. Our faith does not depend on perfectly understanding everything Otherwise, it wouldn't be faith, right, friends? There's always going to be a gap between what we observe and what God tells us, and it's in that gap the life of faith is lived. It's never going to perfectly make sense to us, and that is the journey of faith that we live. And in fact, we get great encouragement. Mary's very last recorded words in the Scriptures Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary's last recorded words in Scripture, very fittingly, are about her son, Jesus. It comes in John 2, verse 5. Mary's last words, some 30 years after his birth, Mary says this, Do whatever he tells you. And if we do, we are sure to have a wonderful life. Amen. He could have come like some superhero 
swooping in to save the day. He could have made a show, but instead he chose to grow like you and me. God with us, Amen. 